Jeremy come. Jeremy's been teaching on Wednesdays and bringing wonderful teachings, and uh, he'll be uh, sharing with you tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Pastor. Praise God. Well, you know, when I think of dear sister Gladys, I think of that scripture where it says that he anointed with the oil of gladness. Gladness. Gladys was glad to be in the house of the Lord. And I never known a woman to speak louder without ever saying a word as dear Miss Gladys. Amen. Man, I love that lady. Oh, man. Whoa, what am I sitting on? My water bottle. She was just man. But you know what? She beat us there. Praise God, she beat us there, Ron. Save me a seat at the table. Pass the butter. Praise the Lord. We're in the book of 1 Peter. I thank you all for bearing with me last week. Kind of felt like we ran in a little bit of a quagmire there, man. Got ran into the woods and got lost, man. But uh, we're going to get on through this book. I think we've been in chapter 1 for about two years now, so... Uh, I'm just kidding. It's been a while, though, but I, we are going to get through chapter 1 tonight, praise God. Hallelujah. Are you with me? All right. We're in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, and we're going to kick it off at verse 13. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope to the end. Now, you remember when, our, when we were teaching, when you see the word wherefore or therefore, we got a Find out what it's there for. And so you go back up to the previous verses, and if you look at the context of verse 10, 11, and 12, all right, because of is another way you could say that. In verse 10, it says, The salvation, salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. And they prophesied of the grace that should come unto who? You. So the prophets searched the scriptures and also prophesied of the salvation that would come in our time. All right? You know, we've got all kinds of prophets. You know, all kinds of things. One of my, two of my favorites is the one where, um, in Genesis, right? Where in Genesis 49.10, it says, until Shiloh come. Go with me over there real fast. Genesis 49.10. And I turn, you, I turn you to these scriptures here so you can mark them. Um, that's what I like about Bible study. I want you guys to, you know, flip through the scriptures and, and, and see where things are at here. All right, now in verse, in this verse, in the chapter, Jacob, this was Jacob's dying blessing to his children. All right, and he went through and he blessed all the different children as his 12 sons. But when he got to Judah, it kicked in to a different gear. All right, and it says, verse 8, Judah, you art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of your enemies, and your father's children shall bow down before thee. Verse 9 says, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. 
He stooped down and he crouched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall be the gathering of the people be. So Jacob was prophesying over Judah that Judah's line was going to be the kingly line throughout the history of Israel. And that that scepter, which means authority or rulership, it's not going to leave that tribe until Shiloh come. And the word Shiloh there, that's talking about the Messiah when he comes back down to earth and he gathers Israel unto his own. Amen. And he's going to gather them up. All right. So all through Bible history, all through history, they've been looking for Shiloh. Praise God. They've been looking for him and they're still looking for him. All right. So that's what he means when he says they search diligently through the scriptures. And then another one is Daniel chapter nine, verse 24. Go there with me real fast. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, probably the most, my favorite scripture of the entire Bible. Um, In Daniel chapter 9, this prophetic scripture is so accurate and so amazing that the doubters and the scholars and the naysayers tried to say that Daniel wrote this, that this book was written by Daniel hundreds of years later, which is a total lie. They just can't handle the truth of prophecy. Verse 24 of chapter 9 says, 70 weeks are determined upon your people and upon your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So know therefore, verse 25 Therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, or 69 weeks. And the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after these three score and two weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And for the people of the, and the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of that week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation that is determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So that's the prophecy there about the Messiah coming the first time, Jesus being crucified, all right? There's a prophecy there when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, that happened, all right? And then the next prophecy in verse 27 is talking about the last days when the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with Israel. And in the midst of the week of that covenant, he will break it. And there will be chaos, all right? So, because of this prophecy, back to Peter, all right? Peter then says, the prophets have searched diligently for these things. They have prophesied these things, all right? And look what else it says there. They prophesied of the grace that should come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So there's a large range of time between in that one verse. We've already had the sufferings of Christ, amen? That was the cross. The glory that should, that was his first coming. The glory that should come is his second coming, okay? The glory that should follow, verse 11. 
In verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they ministered these things. So Daniel the prophet, Jacob the prophet, all the different prophets of the Old Testament, they weren't ministering to themselves. They weren't prophesying for their own good. They were prophesying for us. They were speaking of things that would come for us. Hebrews tells us that some of these guys gave their own lives. They actually were killed for what they were speaking, all right? We know that, you know, in early church history, you've heard me testify before, guys like Tyndale and Whitecliffe and all the different guys that went before us to give us this precious Bible, this precious English Bible that we have in our hands. Men were burned at the stake that we could actually have an English translation. Many men have given up their lives for us now. And so what Peter is saying, he even goes on to say in verse 12, it says, the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. How many have had the gospel preached unto them? Amen. It's in, just like the sign says right there. The gospel must be preached. The gospel was given unto men to preach to men. Because, look what it then goes on to say. Which things the angels even desire to look into. So this gospel that has been preached from the beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when the Lord told Adam that the Messiah would be coming through Eve. Even the angels have been peering over heaven watching these things. They couldn't be a part of it, but they were sure wanting to look and see and, and, and see how the Lord was going to do this, okay? Now, it's important. This may rattle a few cages, but I'm telling you, the gospel's not for angels. The gospel is not for angels. Angels do not get saved. Because angels do not have free will. Okay? The angels in heaven do not have free will. The Bible says angels have been given unto us as ministering spirits of flame of fire. All right? The angels are the messengers or they're the go-to in the holy of holies. All right? To prove that, you can go to Psalms where it says, what is man that he has made him a little lower than the angels? That's a bad translation there because that makes it look like it's God, angels, man. I don't know what was going on back when in 1611 when they made the King James Bible, but apparently they couldn't handle when it said, what is man that God has made him a little lower than Elohim? Elohim is the name for God. It's the first name that was revealed to us of God back in Genesis. Okay? In the beginning was God. In the beginning was Elohim. So it says, what is man that he has made us a little lower than Elohim? All right? So man, in the order, it's God, man, angels. Okay? Ain't because man was given free will. Why? What does it say? He formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into him. He became a living soul. Let us make man in our image. Is angels made in the image of God? No. Angels are not made in the image of God. And because angels are not made in the image of God, but man is, God had to redeem man, praise God. Hallelujah. He loved us so much that... Because we were made in his image, he had a plan to redeem man, not redeem angels. Praise the Lord. Now, so because of all those things, right, what I just said, all the guys that have gone before us, those that have lost their lives, even the angels that look on this thing with wonder and gaze and think, wow, because of this, 13, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, change the way you think. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, 
not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance. You know, when I was out there partying in the dance club and that's all I wanted to do, you know, drink, smoke, and chew and hang out with girls that do, you know, that's, uh, you know, I was ignorant, all right? I was ignorant in my ways because I didn't know. I did not know. And so I fashioned myself according to this world. When all my friends said, let's go to the tavern, it's Friday night, amen? Let's have a Budweiser. I like what my dad said, Bud never made anybody wiser. They should have labeled that thing Bud Ignorant. All right? Now, so he says in verse 15, but as he which has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. And I like that word conversation because that, that, that word, it speaks of so much. It speaks of the way we talk. It speaks of the way we present ourselves. It speaks of the company that we're in. You know, we are to have a manner of life that reflects the holiness of God. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 16. The reason why, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Don't we want to be like the one that saved us? You know, to me, this is more than a commandment. It's almost like a, um, it's like, why wouldn't you want to be holy? It's not like, oh, I have to be holy. I have to be holy. Why wouldn't you want to be holy? Why would you want to accept the beauty of God's grace and the precious Holy Spirit. Remember when the Holy Spirit came upon you? You remember when he filled your heart with joy and you felt power and you felt totally separated from the desires of this world. You just were so hungry for God. Nothing else satisfied. Why would you want to do anything else? You know? Now, a lot of people, and I was this way too, people mistake holiness for salvation. Okay? You are not saved by holiness. Paul's gospel, especially Galatians, does not say we're saved by holiness. What are we saved by? Through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. Say that again. By grace, through faith. Okay? So if we're saved by grace, then we're not saved by holiness. Okay? We are saved for holiness, not by holiness. We are saved for holiness. That's why God saved us. So go with me, if you would, real fast over to Leviticus chapter 11. This is the great scripture that you should underline when it, this is going back to where the Lord first said, be holy. And there's some good insight to this, be holy. And I'm in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. We'll start at verse 44. Say amen when you're there. All right. Verse 44 says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy. Sanctify just means separate yourself. And you shall be holy. For I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. For I am the Lord that brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, 
for I am holy. See that? I am the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. He is the Lord that brought us out of our spiritual Egypt, which was our bondage to our sin. Amen? We were in bondage. You know, we had a master. Satan had us bound and blinded by our own sin. Okay? I thought there was never, I thought I was never getting out of Tucson, Arizona. That dust bowl. I thought the whole world abandoned me at the Triple T truck stop. A castaway out there on Interstate 10, man. I thought I was never going to get out of there. But praise God, the Lord rescued me from my bondage. Amen. Aren't you glad he rescued you from your bondage? He delivered us out of Egypt. Praise God. So therefore, because we've been delivered, let's be holy. And then he goes on, verse 47. Um, Well, let's take 46 so we can get any context here. Now, this is the law of the beasts and the fowl and of every living creature that moves in the water. And of every creature that creeps upon the earth. Now, the context of what Leviticus is talking about here is what was clean animals and what was unclean animals. Okay? Now, we know if you read Noah, the story of Noah, Noah had seven of each clean animal that the Lord determined, and he had one one of those that were unclean. So God put a difference in animals between clean and unclean in the Old Testament here. But we know according to the New Testament, when God spoke to Peter, he did away with this. He said, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And what he was talking about there was, is it was illegal for a Jew to go and sit and have dinner with a non-Jew. Why? Because God was establishing boundaries for sanctification or for separation, okay? And why is God concerned about boundaries? Why does God make a big deal about separation or boundaries? Look at 47. To make a difference between the unclean and the clean. And between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. So number one, the first thing we need to be holy so we're not defiled. It's protection. God wants you to be holy for your protection. It keeps you from being defiled. It keeps you from getting into places that will cause you harm. Because how many know we have an adversary out there? We've got an enemy, and he likes to walk around and find the weak one. If you go out to, the, uh, to Africa on the plains there, who do the lions always pick on? They always find that one that won't stay with the pack, huh? That one that just thinks, ah, I got this. I don't need them over there. Okay, we'll see about that. That's sometimes how I feel about church folk. I don't need the church. Oh, Okay. You just run on your own then without the pack then. Watch the lion get you. Now, so the first reason why we need to be holy is so that we will be protected. Protected from corruption. Protection from defilement. All right? The second reason why God wants us to be holy and separate from the world is to make a difference. To make an obvious difference between what is clean, what is godly, and what is unclean, what is ungodly. God wants a clear difference between those that belong to him and those that don't belong to him. God has never had a problem with division. God has never had a problem with this. For some reason, even in the days that we live in now, man has a real problem with boundaries and God having division. You know, 
in Genesis, they got into trouble because they wanted to come together when God said, go out. They stagnated and wanted to be as one. God has always had people going here, people going there, people going there. He has no problem with that. But for some reason, in our, in our flesh, in our, in our carnal mindset, we have an issue with this. And I don't know why that is, but we just do. We feel like, ooh, you know. But God has never had a problem with division. Now, what God does have a problem with is God has a problem when you backbite. God has a problem with backbiting, which causes division. But if someone said, you know, I think the Lord is moving me to go over here and go, go down a new, new path, there's no problem with that. God has a problem with, you know, I don't like the way they're doing that over there, so I think I'm going to go over here. You want to go with me? Now, so God, two things again. Number one, we're to be holy for our protection. And number two, we're to be holy for our proclamation. Protection and proclamation. Because if you're like the world, your witness goes downhill. You, if, you are, if you are living like the world, your, your, your power for proclaiming the things of God, is that, that goes down. My wife showed me the craziest thing the other day, and she said that, you know what people had to do in church? They had to give their pastor the beer test. You seen this garbage that's going out there right now? They call it the beer test. Praise God you've never heard of it. The beer test. This is how you should pick a pastor, it said. Sit back and ask yourself, can I have a beer with that guy up there? Because if I can't have a beer with him, then he's not good enough to preach the gospel to me. It actually, this is going out, man. It's ridiculous what they're coming up with nowadays. It's ridiculous. The Bible says to be different. Now, I don't want to be like the world. There's a lot of things... You know, we, we, we cut out of our lives. I, I don't need to get in an argument with whether it's right or wrong. You know, people want to argue, you know, all the time about drinking and smoking and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I just cut, the, I just cut it right down the middle and say, look, it really isn't about, about whether it's right or wrong. It's about what makes me separate, what makes me holy, what makes me clean, what makes me different than the guy out there going to the honky-tonk every Friday night. So anyway, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen? That's what he's talking about. So those are the two fundamental reasons why God wants us to practice holiness in our lives and in our church. One, for our protection. Number two, for our proclamation or our witness. Protection and proclamation. Praise God. All right, back to our text. I still got time. I got, I got time. I will get through this chapter. All right, I'm looking at it. Here we go. Verse 17. Now, if you call on the Father, who without, without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work. I love that. The Lord is not a respecter of persons. Okay? He will judge every man according to his work. Not according to his title. Not according to his family. But according to his own work. So, because he's like this, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That's a holy fear, not a negative fear. That's a, a positive, deep awe and respect for the Lord. Amen. That's a fear for God. You know, that's one of the problems we have today. People don't fear. You know why they're having problems with kids in school? The kids are not afraid of the teachers anymore. They don't care. And if you want to know why they don't care, get the tape from last week. We won't go there. (laughs) Praise God. Now, 
So, and this is a really important uh, statement of truth here. The father is not a respecter of persons. He judges every man according to his own work. You know, God, when I see the Lord, he's not going to say, oh, man, Jeremy, that was great, man. I really appreciate you spending all that time in that church doing the music and da-da-da-da and all that stuff. Uh-uh. Your position in church is not, that's not giving you an extra step. Okay, you don't get extra favor with God for you do stuff in the church. That's why I'm always hounding these new Christians that come through here. I'm hammering them all the time. Listen, what you do in the pantry and all the work you do in church is great, okay? But you will not be judged according to what you do for God. You'll be judged according to what's in your heart. When Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus came back, what was he looking for? Good works in the earth? No, it says he's looking for faith in the earth. And when I read my Bible, the Bible doesn't say serving food increases faith. Serving food is wonderful. We need to do that. But it doesn't increase faith. What increases faith? Hearing the word of God. The word of God is what increases faith. The word of God is what increases faith. So I tell these new Christians all the time, man, you can do everything around the church and everything, but if you're not in Bible study, hearing the word of God, your faith's not growing. And if your faith's not growing, when your works fade, where are you gonna be then? We must grow our faith. There must be an equal balance between the works and the word. Praise God. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Now, for as much, verse 18, as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. (laughs) I love this, man. You know, a lot of people try to say Peter didn't write this because he was a fisherman and he was uneducated and and they say he was an ignorant man. And I just say poppycock to that. I mean, I, you know what I say? Remember in Acts, when the elders and the scribes and the Pharisees, when Peter and John came to them, and it says, they were amazed because they perceived that they were unlearned men. They judged them. Well, these guys don't have an education. They don't have a master's degree in theology. Who are they to come in here and tell us what what the Bible's about? They haven't been educated. But then it says, but then they knew they had been with Jesus. (laughs) You see, they had been with Jesus. You know, the reason why Peter can write this book is because he's been with Jesus. The reason why you can go out and do mighty exploits for God is not because you went to Harvard, but because you've been with Jesus. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest evangelists this planet has ever seen, couldn't even read. The only thing he, some, God supernaturally taught him to read by just reading the King James Bible. You couldn't even bring a newspaper into his house. He'd tell you to get that thing out of here. (laughs) He couldn't read, but he could read the Bible. And he shook nations. Verse 19, the subject is, we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, the blood of Jesus is so wonderful. I love songs that speak about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so much more precious than silver and gold. Verse 20 says, for verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And you guys remember when we talked about um, the divine order of the believer. You know, we've got the foreknowledge of God. We've got the election of God. We've got the predestination of the believer. All right. And then we've got the. The justification, the sanctification, 
and the glorification, all right? Seven steps. We talked about that in the beginning. You know, this plan that God had for us, it was from the very beginning. People want to argue about whether Adam and Eve had a belly button. I mean, people want to say, well, you know, did, did they have a belly button if they were the first, you know? Well, they're dinosaurs. I mean, come on. Why, are, why do people try to come up with this stuff, you know? Was it the chicken or the egg? What came first? Are you kidding me, man? That's what you want to talk about? When it says right here that from the foundations of the world, before you were even a thought, God already had a plan to send his son to die for you. And you want to argue about silly things like that. Why don't we just praise him for that awesomeness, amen? Just praise the Lord that he formed the foundations of the world. He foreordained Jesus Christ to come and save us. And he was manifest in these last days. These last times for you. Verse 21. Whom by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Now flip with me to one page, excuse me, one page over to verse 8 of this chapter. Just want to tag this verse along with what we just read. Because this is why I believe the Lord loves you guys so much tonight. This is like, I sometimes can't even read this verse without crying. But this is the precious heart of the believer. Whom having not seen, you love. And in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, Thomas, Jesus told him like Pastor said, Blessed are they having not seen, believe. We actually have more, I don't know what you would call it, but there is a special blessing on us here today than those that were standing in the room with Jesus when he rose from the dead. Because I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen him. But I believed on him when somebody told me about him. I know I'm going to see him, praise God. And I know he's real, because I know when I did believe in him, I know what happened to me. Amen? Amen? Amen. You know, how many know salvation's more than just a, a, a salvation prayer? You know, you can bring somebody up and say, yeah, I mean, we used to call it the sinner's prayer, amen, the sinner's prayer. Did you know the sinner's prayer's not been around since the birth of the church? That whole thing we do with the sinner's prayer... That came back in the ministry of people like Billy Sunday and people like that where they would start to call people up and say, confess after me. You know, that is not how you get saved. You, you know, we do that because we're trying to bring somebody to a place of faith and confession. That's what saves somebody, all right? You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. That's, what the, that's kind of the mechanics of what the sinner's prayer is trying to do. But people can say the sinner's prayer a thousand times and not get born again. Because if they say the sinner's prayer and they don't believe in their heart, then nothing's happened. And I know, I know when I believed in my heart. Do you know when you believed in your heart? Did you feel the power of God come into your life when you believed? I saw things completely different. Before I was saved, it was a muddy field. After I was saved, there were shades of purple. I never saw green, so many shades of green in the trees. I never saw the sky like I've seen the sky before. It's like the Lord, the scales came off my eyes and I realized, man, this is a beautiful place. To be really born again. And so, 
Having not seen, we still love him. Amen. How many love Jesus tonight? See, that blesses the Father's heart that you would love somebody with all your heart. Be willing to give your life, your whole life, even lay down your life if we needed to, for someone you've never even seen. And then he goes on to talk about hope. There where he says, that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, we know that Peter is known as the apostle of hope. Paul is the apostle of faith, and John is the apostle of love. Amen? And Peter preached hope. And hope is so important. You know, Romans 5, 5 says, hope makes not ashamed. What was Paul talking about when he said, hope doesn't make ashamed? How many have ever been, you know, holding out for something, but then you kind of thought, ah, that ain't going to happen? And then it happened. And he thought, oh, man, I kind of gave up there. I didn't think that was going to happen. You kind of feel like, oh, man. But how many, when you're believing and standing for something and you're hoping for it, and you don't waver, and then it happens, there's this exhilaration, isn't there? Like, see, I told you so. I knew the Lord was going to do it. And it goes into praise, and you're thanking him, and you're, and you're, and you're glorifying the Lord. I knew he was going to do it. I was believing on it. I knew it. See, that's hope manifested, Amen. right? And it, when, it, when you have that, and it does not make ashamed because God is going to come through. God's coming through. Remember what I said. These are beautiful options for the Christian believer. We got three, three options. Either it happens now. If it doesn't, he's got the grace for us to deal with it, or we get it at the resurrection. It's win-win, brother. That's a win-win deal. Amen? I'm either going to get what I'm believing for, or if I don't get what I'm believing for, he's going to give me the ability to deal with it, or I'm going to get it in the resurrection. Man, I just think that's awesome. And that's hope, you see. Because if we wane and we start to think, oh, man, I don't know, man, do you think Jesus is real? you think the Lord's going to come? Do you really believe all this stuff they've been telling us for years? I mean, they've been saying this for 2,000 years, preaching this gospel that Jesus Christ was going to come. I don't know, man. It's been a long time. I don't know whether it's even real or not. If you imagine talking like that and then all of a sudden, the clouds burst open and Jesus, man, are you going to be like, yeah, are you going to be like, oh, man, man, you know? See, that's what it means when hope doesn't make ashamed. You will not be put to shame for your hope in Christ's return. You will not be put to shame. And that's what Peter's talking about here. He's trying to get the church to realize, look, hey, tough times are coming. He wrote this in 62 AD. A couple years later, Nero's burning Christians for yard lamps. Okay? Nero is about to release a serious wave of persecution on the church. Where he used to burn Christians at the stake to light up his garden parties. Awful the things that the early church suffered under this man's hand. But Peter's writing to them, and it's almost like a prophetic letter preparing them, saying, look, man, hope in God. You don't think they were questioning whether or not they should have got in this thing? When he was rounding up all the Christians, you don't think they were thinking, oh, man, what have we gotten ourselves into? I thought you said Jesus was going to come back. I thought you said we're going to be rescued from this. What what have we got ourselves into, man? Well, I'll tell you what, those that did not waver in their faith for the Lord, the minute they gave up the ghost, they knew what they got themselves into. Amen? i tell you what they got themselves into. Even as they were stoning Stephen, even in his dying breath, he said, I see the Lord high and lifted up, and he stands at the right hand of God. He saw the welcoming party as he was being slain for the name of Jesus. And it says he saw the Lord standing. The Bible says that he is seated at the right hand of God. I like to think that when Jesus saw Stephen giving up his life for him, the Lord just stood up 
You know, when you, you, what do you do when you stand up? It's a sign of respect and honor. And he stood up and he welcomed that martyred saint into glory. He saw him. Hey, that's in the Bible. And I believe it. And I believe those Christians on a stake, they saw the Lord in glory. I believe with all my heart, just like Sister Gladys, just anybody, any believer that dies in the faith, you will see the Lord before you even know it. You will see the Lord before you even know it. And when you see him, you don't want to be going, oh, man. I wish I'd have kind of believed more. I wish I wouldn't have like kind of... You want to be... I told you. I told you he's real. There he is. I knew I was going to see him. Hallelujah, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Ah, Running into his arms. That's what he wants. That's what I want. Amen? That's what I want. A hope that makes not ashamed. Verse 23. Or 22, see then now that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. How do you purify your soul? Obedience. Obedience to the truth of his word and through the spirit. And look at this, unto an unfeigned love of the brethren. I love that word, unfeigned. How many fencers we got in here in the room tonight? Swordsmen, lots of them. <laughs> you know, there's a you know when you when you when you uh, fence, you have a you you feign, or in karate they call it a feign. It's it's a fake. It's a fake out. All right. It's like you move one way to fake them out, and you go another way. The move it's called to feign, and so. When I think about that, every time I see that word unfeigned, I think the Lord doesn't want us to fake our love out for one another. He doesn't want us to, to pretend or show one thing and then do another. Oh, amen. He wants our love to be unfeigned towards each other. What you see, man, is what you get. It may not always be what you want, but what you see is what you get. Amen. Isn't that what... What's better? What you see is what you get. It may not be what you want or what you see is not what you're getting even though you wanted that. (laughs) I'm putting myself with a word pretzel right now. I just know that even if it ain't what I expected, I want real, genuine love. Verse 23, being born again, hallelujah, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, all right? The seed of Ronnie Moore was a corruptible seed. The seed of your father was corruptible, all right? But the word that was Planted in you, that word that you believed, all right, that brought a new birth. A new birth. We call it being born again. And that is not corruptible, all right? Now, that's even the same word that made you born again. It's the same word that said to Mary, hey, behold, You shall conceive a child, and it shall be holy, and you shall call his name Jesus. Same word. That same word that was planted in Mary is the same word that was planted in you when we were born again. And what was that word? The gospel of grace, according to Paul. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. That's it. The same way that, what did it say about Mary when she said, Mary believed on the Lord. It says, and she pondered these things in her heart. Same thing with Abraham. When God told Abraham, look at your, you don't have, you're you're old man. You're not going to have any kids. No, look at these stars. Look at the sand. 
That's how many kids you are. He believed what God said would happen, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Same thing with us in the gospel. We believe what God said about the cross. We believe what God said about the empty tomb. And something happens on the inside of us. Righteousness is born. And why is it born? Because we believe what God said. And it's crazy that all God wants from the human race is somebody to believe what he said. If you've got children, you know what I'm talking about. Will someone just believe what I said? You know, I could say that there's rain outside, and I'd come in and I'd try to tell my girls, hey, you know, it's raining outside. Where? What? what huh? Where's the rain? Show me. Well, don't you believe? I just told you it's raining. Well, somebody just believe what I said and stop touching the thermometer, the thermostat. Now, being born again, that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. For the word of God lives and abides forever. Amen? It's the word of God that lives and abides forever. That's why it's important that the word of God is in you. That's what makes you live and abide forever. It's not this flesh. This is not what lives and abides forever. It's the word of God in you that lives and abides forever. For all the flesh, verse 24, is as grass. And all the glory of men are as the flower of a grass. The grass withers, the flowers thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is, I just told you, this, this is confirmation. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. <laughs> that's it right there. I just saw that, honey. I mean, that verse 25 just said what I said to you. The word of God is the gospel. This is the word of God that is preached unto you, the gospel. That's what it is, the gospel, amen? And so that's why it's the gospel is so important. And we must, as the church, praise God... We must not steer clear from the gospel. God help us if we ever become a motivational speaking church. I do not want to be a part of a motivational speaking church. I want to be a part of a church that preaches the eternal, abiding, living forever gospel. That is in this Bible. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor.